0: Good morning, my name is Andrew Evans, I am one of the pastors here on staff, it's great to be with you here this morning, I'll lift this up. Thank you, Eden, for reading for us. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, it's on page 695 in the Gray Q Bibles, we are continuing our series this morning looking at the Gospel of Matthew and looking at the picture that Matthew paints of God incarnate, of the God man, of Jesus Christ. And over the last few weeks, we've seen how Jesus is a tender and gracious man, and how God is tender and gracious to those who are weak and to those who need his help. But but Jesus isn't simply a bleeding heart do-gooder. Sometimes he has really sharp things to say. And this morning, we're going to be looking at that. So before we get started, let me pray for us. Father, would you give us ears to hear, the wisdom to understand, and the courage to act on what you say in your word. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Have you ever had someone speak to you with such plain bluntness that it makes you really uncomfortable? They speak with such clarity and simplicity, but that you can't just do anything but squirm. This happened to me in college, my senior year, spring. I was dating this beautiful girl named Stephanie going okay, and uh, I started to get really anxious, and I started to sort of waffle on my intentions. Stephanie naturally got confused, and so I had lunch with my pastor, campus pastor. God bless that man. (laughs) And I poured out my heart to him. I shared my anxieties and my fears. I mean, he'd been meeting with me for years now, so it wasn't like this was a surprise. (laughs) And this is what he told me. You gotta get in the game and get out of the game. You gotta get in the game and get out of the game. Here's the reality, Andrew, look. You may be uncomfortable, you may be anxious, but the time for action, for decision has come. Time to make a move, let's go. Now, I did, and Stephanie and I have been married for over eight years now, and I am very grateful. Maybe we would have gotten married otherwise, but the reality is I owe so much to that plain-spoken bluntness that made me so uncomfortable in that moment. I want to invite you into just such an uncomfortably direct time this morning. But this time was regarding something much, much greater than a romantic relationship. As great as that is. I love you, (laughs) stuff. Jesus here is speaking to people who are waffling about him. And he speaks here with an uncomfortable directness that forces them to face reality. And what he says to them is this. The king is here. No more excuses. It's time to follow me. And the message for us here today is the same as it was for them. Friends, the king is here. His kingdom has come. You may be uncomfortable with what he calls you to, but the time to make a decision to follow his call is here. It's time to follow Jesus. Let's go. So let's look at this passage in Matthew's gospel together. It divides pretty cleanly into three stages, and these these three stages, each of them highlights a different way that we can avoid and try to avoid following Jesus. So we'll go through the passage. We'll just go through it in order. Let's look first here in chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. And here in these chapters, Jesus says, don't get offended. Don't get offended and use that as a reason to not follow me. So our passage starts with John the Baptist sending messengers to Jesus. John's in prison, he's been hearing what Jesus is doing, and so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John here is clearly waffling about what he thinks about Jesus. And the author of this gospel, Matthew, wants us to be surprised at this question, if not outright shocked. That at the beginning of the gospel in chapter 3, John initially refuses to baptize Jesus. He says, you are so much greater than I am. He sees, he knows who Jesus is there. And yet here he's asking this question. But Matthew gives us another clue in verse 2. Look there with me. He says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. Matthew hasn't used this word since the beginning of chapter 2. Very intentionally. He hasn't used this word. And yet here he uses it. He deploys it to show us that everything that Jesus is doing is proof. Everything is proof. That Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. He is the Messiah. In other words, he wants us to see that John's doubts, John's waffling here, is unfounded. Jesus has already demonstrated himself to be the Christ. In other words, Matthew is telling us that John's question is a dumb question. So look at how Jesus answers in verse 5. John's asking this question out here, He's heard about what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus responds by telling his disciples, go tell John what you see I'm doing. You see what he's doing here. Here in these lines, he's alluding to how Jesus is, to how he is fulfilling the prophecies about him in Isaiah. But really, he's not telling John anything new. He's not telling John anything he doesn't already know. He's saying, Look, you already have everything you need in order to make up your mind about who I am. You don't need more information. You need to believe. But then look at verse 6. Jesus adds this this little beatitude, this little blessed is the man. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Aha, here's the problem. It isn't that John doesn't know enough. John doesn't like what he sees. Jesus isn't the kind of savior that John wants. And, you know, if we think about it, honestly, in a sense, that's, that's fair. John's in prison. He knows his life is at stake. He's offended the most powerful man in the region. And so he needs Jesus. He desperately wants Jesus to be the mighty warrior savior who will come in and not only defeat his enemies but spring him from jail his life is on the line but there's another deeper level of offense here that we shouldn't miss John came preaching repentance and judgment back in chapter 3 he described the coming Messiah in this way listen to these words His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire, guys. Like, that's judgment. That's what he's expecting. This is the Messiah that he wants. And yet Jesus is doing seemingly none of that. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's raising them from the dead. He's going to parties. Everybody likes Jesus. Isn't it great? Where's the judgment, Jesus? John was offended by the shape of Jesus' ministry. He was offended that Jesus wasn't dropping the hammer on sinners. Doesn't God demand holiness? It was Jesus' mercy that was offensive. So in this little statement here, in verse 6, this little beatitude, Jesus is saying, you can only find blessing if you submit to my rule and don't take offense at what I'm doing. I'm the king, and in my kingdom, I am showing first mercy and not judgment. Stop imposing your priorities on me. Stop imposing your timetable on me. It is not your place to tell me how to run my kingdom. Don't take offense. How much are we like John the Baptist? The kingdom of God is one of judgment, certainly, yes. But it is first one of mercy. And this is a mercy that we have all received if we are looking to Christ in faith. How often do we fail to show that mercy ourselves? For example, do we air our grievances about our brothers and sisters before we go to them themselves and seek reconciliation? It is merciful as well as simply obedient to what Jesus tells us to do to protect the reputation of our brothers and sisters and go talk to them first before talking to other people about what they've done wrong. That is showing mercy before showing judgment. And if we go gossiping about them and talking about them behind their back, we show judgment before showing mercy. Or take another example: abortion. We, a couple weekends ago, right, we had the March for Life, and we should absolutely praise God for the witness of the pro-life movement, to the testifying to the sanctity of human life. Praise God. But does our zeal to protect life devolve into a judgment on those who disagree with us? Or onto maybe even those who have had an abortion themselves? Are we willing to stop, to listen, to withhold judgment just for a minute And to extend the mercy that God shows us. Even when we disagree with them. Are we willing to do that? Friends, do you feel how this mercy can feel offensive? But our king calls us to extend this mercy. Don't take offense at this mercy. And use this as a reason to not follow the king. Guys, Jesus is king. Not you. You need to conform yourself to his priorities, and not try to force him into yours. All right, so this first section tells us don't get offended and use that as a reason to avoid following the king. And the second section teaches us don't miss the point. Don't miss the point, get distracted, and use that to avoid following the king. In verse 7, John's disciples leave and Jesus then turns to the crowds, babies and all, to talk to them about John. John was was attracting massive crowds. John was kind of like that must-see event in town that you don't know when it's gonna come back through and, and you really have to go see it, right? Do you remember when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup several years ago? And there was a big parade down Constitution Avenue. There were thousands of people that came out because they just had no idea when this was going to happen again. I don't like hockey and I went. Like, John was like that must-see event. Everybody wanted to see him because they didn't know when this sort of thing was going to happen again. So so Jesus starts asking the crowd, hey, why'd you go see John? What was the point? Why'd you go? His tone here is ironic. But don't miss how he's being kind of playful here with the crowd as well. He asked them if they want to go see a, a reed shaken by the wind, as though John is some sort of guy who's just sort of reads the wind and flops in it, even though everybody knows that's exactly not what he is. He's in jail because of his fiery preaching. He asked them if they wanted to go see someone in soft clothing. Everybody knew he wore a hair shirt, guys, yeah, like, Everybody knew that was not true. And then don't miss how he sort of winks at the crowd here, almost. When he says, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. He's probably taking a dig at the king there. But he's also noting with probably a little bit of bitterness that that John is, in fact, in the king's house. Just in the dungeon. So... You can feel Jesus in these lines sort of revving up the crowd, playing to them a little bit. Did you go to see this? And everybody says, no. Did you go to see this? And everybody says, no. Did you go see a prophet? And everybody says, yes. A prophet. That's right. A truth teller. Somebody who sees it and calls it like it is no matter what the consequences are. That's our guy. John the prophet. John the hero. That's what we went to go see. And Jesus says, that's right, yeah, that's right, he's a prophet. Feel how he turns this out. Yes, a prophet, and more than a prophet. John surely is a heroic truth teller, but don't miss the real point of John's ministry. Don't get distracted by the hair shirts and the crazy preaching. Don't get distracted by the ship. John is something more. So what is John? Look at verse 10. John himself is actually the fulfillment of prophecy. He's the herald of the Messiah. He's the messenger who's preparing the way. In other words, he's kind of like the opening act. Look at at verse 11. Jesus says that John is the greatest human who ever lived. And yet this kingdom that he's ushering in, in that kingdom, even the smallest and least person is greater than Jesus, than John. This is the point of verses 14 and 15 too. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's the greatest of the prophets. He's even Elijah, who was prophesied by, by the prophet Malachi. Yet the entire point of the Old Testament, the entire point of John's ministry, the entire point of everything was to point to Jesus, to point to the Messiah, to point to the coming kingdom. Don't miss that, Jesus is saying. John is ushering in a new age of history, the age of the kingdom of God. The age that we're still in today And this kingdom is coming into the world with force and strength. It's being opposed violently. Don't get distracted by the show. Focus on the kingdom. Focus on what Jesus is doing. On what John is doing. The king is here. Jesus is here. The kingdom is advancing. Guys, the train is leaving the station. Get on. Get on the train. Join the kingdom. And I fear that all too often we can get distracted by the spectacle of our faith. Just like the crowds here. We can get distracted in all sorts of different ways. But all of these distractions can keep us from submitting our lives to Jesus. Maybe we can focus on denominations and church politics and all these different things that are kind of fun. I get it. <laughs> Maybe we get distracted by simply the administration of our religious life, such that we fail to cultivate our faith and our love for Jesus. Let me highlight one other way, I want to step out on a branch here, that I think can be particularly pernicious, that we can be distracted. Guys, we can focus on doctrine to the exclusion of cultivating our faith. It is very good. Don't miss me here. It is very good to seek to understand your faith. We need to know our prayers. We need to know our creeds. That's really, really important. But so often, pursuing the debates around our faith comes from a disposition of either a love of controversy or a kind of latent skepticism in our hearts. Guys, The Christian faith is not a puzzle to put together and then stand back and be so happy that you figured it out. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about worshipping the God who sent his son to die for you. It is about submitting your lives to the king who is here, who has come. Yes, please seek to understand your faith. There is nothing that would make us happier as pastors, then for you to say, hey, I want to understand my faith better. Do that, please. But do it because you want to love Jesus more. Because you want to follow him more. And not because you want to put the puzzle pieces together. Don't get distracted by the spectacle. Don't miss the point. Everything that John was doing, everything that the church should be doing, is meant to point us all to Jesus so that we follow him. Don't get distracted. Follow the king. So the first section is warning against getting offended, and the second is warning against getting distracted. The third is warning us against making excuses to justify our inertia, justify not moving. Let's look at verses 16 through 19 together. Jesus here is is using a game that children used to play as an analogy for for his parable. Some of you might have played wedding when you were young, Maybe you got dressed up in your parents' clothes. That's what's going on here. They're they're playing wedding or they're playing funeral. Maybe it's kind of weird to think about playing funeral. Yeah, but here we are. That's what they're doing. Except in this scene that Jesus is talking about, some of the kids are complaining that the others aren't playing the game. These kids played the right music, they did everything right, but their friends are just sitting on the sidelines. They're not responding. They're not moving. So in verses 18 and 19, Jesus shows us how this story applies. Two different, very different, preachers of the kingdom have come proclaiming the gospel. John came, Jesus came using actually exactly the same words as John. They had radically different styles. John was preaching repentance and was kind of a, you know, not so ascetic. Jesus was proclaiming repentance and, and, and mercy and forgiveness, and he was one of hearts. And they were totally different. Same message. How did everybody respond? They have these two two choices, but they ultimately rejected, both, didn't they? And they came up with these excuses. For John, they said, oh, we can't follow him. He's got a demon. He's crazy. For Jesus, they said, oh, we can't follow him. He's a friend of dirty sinners. Gross. Can't do that. Neither Jesus nor John was good enough for them. They always could find a reason to not follow Jesus. You see just how lame the people are here, (laughs) just how sad these excuses are, they're grasping for any reason that comes to hand in order to avoid following Jesus. They don't want to get out of their seats and follow the king. Their lives are just too comfortable. They don't want to upset the status quo. But the problem is the status quo is already upset. Jesus then come. The kingdom was here. And that is true for us today as well. Guys, he's calling you to follow him. We pray that in our college. The call is here. You can whine, and you can squirm, you can rationalize, all you want. But your excuses are probably going to move his heart about as much as the excuses did in this passage. The kingdom isn't waiting. It's moving. And it's time that you join us. Time to step up. Time to follow him. So let's put some brass tacks on this, shall we? What are the parts of your life? You could divide it up maybe this way, different ways, but you have your time, you have your money, and you have your relationships. And in order to follow Jesus, you have to follow Jesus in all Areas of your life. So let's talk about that, shall we? You have your relationships. Are you in an ungodly relationship? Are you spending time with people who are pulling you away from loving Jesus? Are you loving your spouse or failing to love your spouse? Are you caring for your friends? Are you indulging after lusts for relationships that you don't have? maybe through porn, maybe through something else. Some of this stuff is complicated, but let's be real, for a lot of this stuff, the solution is not hard to see. It just takes some courage to actually step up and do it. Guys, the kingdom is here. Time to follow Jesus in your relationships. You have your money. Next. The Bible gives us a pattern of giving 10% of your money to the things of God. Are you doing that? We have seen tremendous generosity in this church over the last several years. It has been beautiful to see. Really amazing. You are to be commended for that. But following Jesus with your money means continually doing this. Are you giving generously? Are you caring for those around you in tangible ways with your resources? Because the kingdom is here. Time to step up and follow Jesus with your money. And finally, you have your time. This is probably the hardest thing for us, isn't it? We have limited time. There are only 24 hours in the day. You can't live on two hours of sleep at night. We're pulled in so many directions. How do we follow Jesus with our time? It means carving out time to spend time with him in prayer. It means making time. To hear from him in his word. It means spending time with God's people during the week. It means serving those who are the least of these. It means making decisions about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. You're going to have to cut some things out, probably, to follow Jesus. The kingdom is here. It's time to decide. What are you going to do? So let me put an even finer on this for you. Solani has designed and organized a spiritual formation cohort. It starts next month. It's designed to be an intensive way to help you figure out how you're going to follow the king in your life. Some of you logistically cannot do it. I get that. That's a thing. But there are an awful lot of you who can the reality is you're simply intimidated, and you're probably coming up with excuses. Stop making excuses. This cohort is a very practical way that you can work on following the King in your life. So go grab your friends, recruit your res group, do it together. Just don't make a lame excuse to justify sitting at home on a Wednesday night. And let me speak most pointedly to the men in here. When I checked this morning, there was exactly one male who had signed up for this cohort. One. I commend that man. You know who you are. But there are a lot more men who can and who should step up and do this cohort. And you're not signing up. Men, the kingdom of God is here. It's time to stop being passive. It's time to stop sitting on the sidelines. It's time to stop making excuses. It's time to step up and follow the king. Let me close with this. Are you feeling guilty? (laughs) None of what I've said this Changes the fact that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Doing this spiritual co work boot camp thing won't make God love you anymore. But the reality is, the kingdom is calling. You. God is calling you to follow Him, and what He's offering you is so much better than what you're doing right now. You will never regret following Jesus. My friends, the King is here. Stop making excuses. Let's go follow Him. Amen.